Welcome to Transform Now, the podcast brought to you by robotic process automation pioneer, Blue Prism. Digital transformation has the potential to reshape the way companies service their customers, engage their employees, and manage their operations. Whether you're looking to develop strategies, tactics, and best practices to positively impact the future of work, or you're curious to learn how other companies have successfully navigated their digital transformation programs, then this podcast is for you. We're here to help you transform now. Hello, everyone. I'm Brad Hairston with Blue Prism. Welcome to the Transform Now podcast. Today, we turn our attention to the public sector, and I'm very pleased to have as my guest David Ware, a partner with McKinsey and Company, who is based in Arlington, Virginia. I will be talking with David about McKinsey's recently published report titled Reimagining U.S. Federal Work for the Post-Pandemic World. David, welcome, and thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Brad. So why don't you start with an introduction of yourself and also tell us a little bit about the work that McKinsey does in the federal sector. Uh, sure. Uh, I'm a partner in our Washington, D.C. office. Uh, been with McKinsey about nine years. Uh, and the majority of my work is in digital analytics and technology transformation, uh, as well as cybersecurity. I spend about 80% of my time in the public sector doing work in uh, federal agencies, uh, both civilian and defense. Um, and then I spend about 20% of my time doing cybersecurity work uh, in the private sector in healthcare. Um, and then, you know, McKinsey overall in the federal sector, we solve similar problems to what we do um, in, in corporate America. It's, you know, large uh, organizationally changing uh, issues. You know, how do we deal with digital transformation? You know, how do we drive automation uh, into the organization? How do we really change the way that we operate? How do we restructure the organization? Um, you know, how do you create culture change? So it's, it's big uh, sort of top of mind topics. And in, in the last year or so, obviously, a lot of our work has centered on COVID and not just sort of how do you respond in the short term and how can you accelerate delivery of some of the critical uh, issues that you, that you need to deliver to support the workforce or to get vaccines out or those kind of things. Um, but also sort of how do you take the next step after that and reimagine uh, what your workforce can be and how you can support that workforce uh, in a post-pandemic world. Well, the recent report was certainly very interesting, and I want to dive into that with you. Let me start with this question. So, David, what what are some of the biggest issues at the federal level that were exposed during the pandemic? Yeah, I think it was a few things. Um, first of all, there's a huge disparity across the federal government um, of what can and cannot happen um, in a remote setting. And, you know, it's exposed, I think, a lot of resilience issues across, um, you know, both civilian and, and uh, you know, sort of defense national security organizations, which has said, you know, we didn't actually realize how much of our processes require somebody to be in the office. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, what, what infrastructure we do and don't have in place to be able to support those things. And there were some organizations that I think were, already, you know, investing in, in telework technologies and in the right infrastructure and in the right sort of workforce policies to uh, to get that stuff done. And, and those organizations had relatively little impact in the scheme of things. Uh, and then there were a lot of folks who realized that uh, they didn't have enough simple things like government furnished equipment uh, to, to support their workforce. You know, they don't have enough phones or, or laptops. 
um, or that they've got processes that are very in, very dependent on being in the office, even things like submitting timesheets, you know, very simple transactional tasks that, mm -hmm. you know, theoretically don't really suppose a, secu pose a security risk or anything like that to an organization, um, but are, are just, you know, dependent in the way that they're built on somebody being on site. Um, the other challenge that I think a lot of folks faced was if you are going to operate in either a remote or a mixed setting, as opposed to a totally on-site setting, how do managers and employees operate in that construct? Can you actually, you know, make the pivot and change the way that the workforce is, is behaving and operating and still ensure that you're getting the job done? Uh, and that turned out to be more difficult for people than they thought it was going to be, uh, especially for managers who said, you know, if I can't walk by somebody's desk, it's really hard for me to know what they're doing and whether we're, you know, doing what we're supposed to be doing. You know, a lot of the, the mechanisms to do that type of, uh, of analysis aren't in place. So where does McKinsey believe the federal government really needs to focus their attention in the near term? I think there's really sort of four categories of things. Um, so the first one is remote and, and flexible work models. And I, I think that's really about you actually need to, in a lot of cases, adjust policy and adjust uh, the the way that work is done from a managerial, organizational, cultural, and process perspective in order to operate uh, in a remote construct. Mm -hmm. You know, you need you need to be able to uh, first of all have people be remote. You need to be able to uh, support them and give them the right you know sets of, of tools and capabilities uh you know in order to be remote and i don't mean in this case i don't mean technology tools although that's also important i mean you know how do you manage your time you know how does your workflow look now that you're in a remote environment and you can't just walk something over to somebody else's desk uh you know what's the um what's the set of um of, of partnering uh, methods that you should use with your team? How do you interact with other people? So there's a bunch mm -hmm. of things on the workforce side. Uh, the second piece is the tech. Um, and, you know, I think there's some really tactical, simple investments that a lot of people have made around, um, you know, uh, making sure that people have GFE and um, and and phones and, and those kind of things and, and getting the, the collaboration software right. You know, do I need to do something with my instant messenger or with the way that I uh, store documents? Um, but there's also a lot of refactoring that organizations are having to do around their core infrastructure and their core networks to say, you know, I need to be able to not just have a separate set of services that I access when I'm outside the office. Mm -hmm. I actually need to be able to have the, the, the potential to access the same capabilities remotely that I access on site. And that presents some unique security concerns for organizations, particularly who take security very seriously, like in the defense space. Um, who really have to be quite thoughtful around how do you transform the architecture in a way that's going to be secure, but also still allow for productivity. You know, on, on that piece, one of the conversations that we've been hearing a lot in those spaces um, that, is that has led to more risk tolerance there is often when you're having a cybersecurity conversation, you're having a conversation about, you know, what is the risk? And you can take a very stringent risk posture um, based on, based on you know, the risk that is presented. In this case, the risk that's presented is we don't deliver on our mission. And so, you know, be, being able to use that as an argument, I think, has created some flexibility. So that's right. technology. That's the sec that's that second theme. I think the third one is really uh, automation. 
which is there's uh, a whole bunch of stuff. And I mentioned the timesheet example earlier, but there's a whole bunch of stuff that gets done on site that doesn't necessarily need to be done on site or that can be done, you know, sort of in an automated fashion on site and then, you know, made up uh, the, the rest of it sort of remotely. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, we saw things in various agencies like document uh, transfer and signatures being a big one or, you know, the timesheet one or, you know, onboarding of employees and account creation. There were a lot of tasks that required being on site that are also automatable. And so the thinking is if you can go automate those tasks, you not only sort of save the the time and the speed and the resourcing that you get all the great benefits of automation, but you also, uh, you know, create a more resilient workforce and you, you reduce the need to be on site. And then I guess the, the final thing is organizations are really re-examining their facilities footprints. Um, mm -hmm. Many of our private sector clients are, you know, taking a, a target of, you know, 20, 30, 40% reduction in facilities uh, with the assumption that, uh, that, that people will continue to do remote work over time. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, th this can be about, both about sort of reduction in facilities footprint and the cost savings that comes from that. But even if you're not going to do that, and many federal agencies have, have not decided to do that, um, you know, about refactoring that work that workspace so that it is going to work in the future environment, having more flexibility in the workspace, you know, having more spaces for, um, you know, uh, for, for meetings and for joint um, use, you know, joint, joint use of space as opposed to, you know, sort of the cube farm view of the world. So those are those are kind of the big four. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's let's unpack each of those a little bit further. Uh, starting with remote work. Um, w let me ask you, David was was the rapid transition to a work from home model was it a much bigger challenge for the public sector as opposed to the private sector? Is that what you found? I mean, it was, certainly it it was bad for everybody. Um, so that there's no, there's no getting around, you know, the challenge that existed in the private sector. Mm -hmm. I think the infrastructure that's, that the public sector started out with, um, was in a more challenged state than the private sector was, you know, many private sector organizations are used to having at least partial work from home. So they've already got a lot of the infrastructure set up. Um, you know, most, most, uh, private sector organizations issue laptops by default and desktops by exception. And of course, in the federal government, in many cases, that's reversed. So, um, you know, the, the, there certainly was a head start in the private sector compared to the public sector, but it was it was difficult for everybody. Is work from home here to stay, in your opinion? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you know we we've seen that the majority of the workforce, you know, I think like you know eighty percent or more would like to work remotely at least one day a week afterwards, mm -hmm. and um, you know ab about. Uh, half of uh, government full-time and contract workers would like to work remotely full-time. Now, they won't necessarily uh, achieve all of those metrics, but I think it's really important to note that the majority of people, I, I would say very few people want to be fully, fully remote, or, or not everybody does, but, um, but, but most people want to be at least somewhat remote. What if employers, including federal government or agencies, what if they say no to remote work? Yeah, we've already seen some of this, right? With uh, and employees will will uh, threaten to and then follow through on their threat to quit, right? I think uh, yeah. about a third of employees uh, have said that if they have to return to the office full time, uh, they'll they'll seek out a different job, and the you know the work location uh, is a major factor in job selection for many people. So you don't just have to worry about retaining the the current generation of talent; you have to worry about being able to attract the next generation of talent. 
you know, the, the federal government has enough talent challenges as it is, particularly when you talk about new types of talent, you know, data scientists, software engineers, you know, pe people who are doing sort of next generation tech things. There, there are tons of hurdles already. If you want to add to that hurdle, oh, and by the way, um, only for you uh, in the federal government, you, you now have to be on site all the time when everybody else gets to work from home two, three days a week. Um, you know, that'll just add to the challenge. So what are some of the initiatives you see leading organizations undertaking to address the remote work topic? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a few things on that on that workforce side, right? It's um, being able to actually go and classify and get really tied on the definitions of what work can and can't be done remotely and how that work should be done remotely, first and foremost. So, you know, if you were to split your mission up into components, which things really require being on site with a team full time, uh, which ones require you to be able to, you know, have an on site connection, but maybe you can work from an office location closer to your house. You don't have to come all the way to the headquarters building if you have one, uh, which which people, you know, which people uh, or which roles rather get to, you know, partially telework and can do sort of a hybrid model and then which ones can be full time remote. Um, you know, all of those options, laying out all those options mm -hmm. and having a really fact-based conversation about why a specific role or activity falls into one bucket and not another. Is it, is it a true security concern or is it simply the preference of an individual manager? So that's one piece is that, uh, you know, sort of structural and definitional piece. Um, the second one is, you know, really updating and thinking about performance and review criteria and so that they incentivize the right set of, of behaviors for people to be managing in a remote context uh, in support of a remote work. Um, third is around, you know, sort of connectivity and organizational culture. I think if you, if, you know, if you ask almost any organization, we'll say that their culture has decayed significantly since the beginning of COVID um, because it's so much harder to maintain that interpersonal connectivity and, uh, and, and to be able to have sort of the soft things that make an organization uh, the way it is, you know, the conversations around the water cooler or the in-person team events or the impromptu, you know, lunch meetings, those things have really suffered. And you, you can try really hard to create a virtual mechanism for those. And, and we've seen some success on those across our clients, but it's really challenging to substitute. And then um, the fourth one is really the training piece, um, imbuing the the workforce uh, with the set of skills that they need to operate in this new environment and, uh, and, and helping them to know how to you know, run their jobs and, and uh, their day-to-day -day, you know, on and off work lives uh, in the context of remote work, where I think we've often seen a lot of seepage and, and the feeling that the workday never ends now. So you know, what capabilities do I need and what do I need to enforce from a cultural perspective to make sure that uh, that isn't the case? Okay, let's move on to the second focus area, that of technology. So, David, radically updating the government's systems and data has been a persistent topic for as long as you and I have probably been alive. Do you, do you think we're finally on the precipice of some changes in the infrastructure in the federal government under the new administration? I think so. Uh, you know, I, I'm reminded of a comic uh, that I saw online that said, you know, what drove digital transformation in your organization? And the you know, choices were CEO, CIO, CTO, uh, and, and of course, circled was COVID-19. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think um, 
I, I think Satya Nadella said uh, from, from Microsoft said, you know, they've seen more digital transformation in two year in two months of COVID than they did in two years before that. So I think I think that trend is is happening all over the place. Um, I think that you know technology has also become a, a critical topic area, uh, you know, in the in the you know boardrooms if or top teams if you want to call it in the public sector. Uh, where you know cybersecurity is increasingly a, a topic uh, that that uh, is is getting attention and that people care about, and that um, you know th- between the sort of resilience argument of well remember when I couldn't do my mission um, because of the old architecture and, and what happened in COVID, and between that and the cybersecurity argument, you know I, I think we are hopefully going to see a generational uh, investment in IT, and you see. You see the administration, I think, yeah, reflecting some of those priorities. You know, with the the, the investment, for instance, that they want to make in that in expanding the size of the um, the technology modernization fund that's available to agencies, and uh, mm-hmm. you see it in a lot of senior executive sort of priorities and and uh, and resourcing requests. What do you believe are some of the initiatives that they should take in this area of revamping the the technology? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, I think it's a few things. Um, there's, there's again, there's the really tactical stuff around hardware and making sure that you know you're you're in the right position uh, from that perspective. Um, there, I think, is is been a lot of work done on the collaboration tools over the course of COVID nineteen and the ability for uh, for people to be able to share and, and do work. But I think there's still a lot of work to be done there. You know, one of the main challenges that I think I think people have mastered things like. You know, uh, chat and you know, very simple document sharing stuff and those kind of things. Before in the in the post COVID environment, you know, workflow management becomes super important. The ability to uh, to you know to push a, a process along digitally as opposed to you know in analog or, or via email mm-hmm. um, becomes really critical. And then I think there's a there's a huge investment probably in in cybersecurity, right? And and you know, in order to get people comfortable with the with the work from home. Uh, piece, you certainly have a lot of investments there. Um, many of the tools that people are going to want to be using are cloud-based, and they should be. Um, but the federal government is is overall underinvested when it comes to cloud security, and just generally underdeveloped when it comes to cloud more broadly. So I think there's cl- both cloud and cloud security investments coming, um, in addition to some probably other uh, IT security investments as well. Okay. So the next major focus area that you referenced is automation which uh, I know this is going to come as a huge shock, but I definitely support. (laughs) From our perspective, the public sector in general has lagged behind the private sector uh, quite a bit in terms of taking advantage of robotic process automation and and artificial intelligence. However, the level of interest and investment among the federal entities has definitely increased in recent years. In fact, with COVID, we've been helping – federal and state level agencies with automating things like Medicaid claim processing and paying unemployment uh, benefits since those those things have really uh, just seen incredible you know volume. So David, what does McKinsey estimate the potential savings to be in the federal government if you just consider areas like finance, HR and procurement? Yeah, and I think it's important for people to characterize the savings in the right way. There's a couple of types of savings, and the most important, I think, is 
uh, is is cycle time and speed, right? Um, because you know when, when you frame automation in terms of the you know the, the ability to free up people to do other things, I think that's a really important benefit. And there's probably call it you know thirty percent of the you know a thirty percent you know opportunity in most of those areas you mentioned to you know reduce people's manual work so that they can spend time on higher order cognitive tasks. Um, but I think that. Uh, even with all the messaging in the world, a lot of federal agencies have still expressed anxiety and still continue to struggle with the perception that they're, you know, replacing a person with a robot, or that you know somebody's going to lose their job as a result of this. I think you know the, the messaging of that um, is super important to highlight that you know actually there's more work than can be done that to go around, and this will re- just allow you to focus on the parts of your work that uh, you know are actually actually matter and are interesting as opposed to copying and pasting something but that that messaging component I think is really important, but the other component is articulating the value not just in terms of the the time that you save but in terms of the uh, not just in terms of the the you know touch time you save but in terms of the cycle time right so we've in some of these cases seen you know, 70, 80% faster processes. And that, that doesn't just mean, uh, you know, we've, we've eliminated steps that take up that much time. It's actually re-architecting the business process at the same time as you're re-architecting the automation to take advantage of the automation. You know, we'll always say if you, if you automate a bad process, you will get some impact from it. But if you reinvent the process in the context of automation, that's where you get to that sort of 70 to 80% uh, speed improvement. Where, where do you think the federal government should focus their automation efforts in the near term? Uh, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a few things. Um, one is you know in the categories that you mentioned, right, uh, finance, HR, procurement. I think there's a a lot of table stakes stuff that's being done there. Um, that that really um, th- those professionals are often overburdened. If you think about like the contracting officer workforce in the U.S. government, or the HR professional workforce in the U.S. government, you know. Uh, these the, the, these folks uh, are are some of the most important people to making sure work actually gets done. Um, but they often spend a lot of their time doing you know tasks that they we shouldn't be asking them to do. You know, uh, writing the contract terms into a contract that you've already written seventeen times and trying to find an old one to paste in there. Uh, you know, manually screening resumes to make sure that somebody has graduated college if the position requires them to have graduated college, right? You know, things things that are not uh, a task that requires thinking. And I think, you know, those people have tons of other stuff they could be doing, uh, you know, proactive sourcing of talent, you know, uh, really thinking through requirements with with uh, with, with uh, mission owners on the, on the contract side. So I think the, the back office has a ton of, of value that can be created um, from, from automation. So that's one. Uh, two is tactically in the, in the context of COVID, can we automate the things that are requiring office visits? So those timesheets, those, mm-hmm. um, you know, th- those, uh, uh, you know, onboarding activities, the other things that require me to come into the office so that I can, uh, you know, reduce the, the, the burden uh, to be to, to facilitating remote work. Um, and then the third piece I mentioned, I think already was was the workflow automation piece that says, you know, can I make sure that I, I that nothing is is dependent on somebody manually going and checking a queue um, and trying to figure out the status of something, but that I've just proactively you know facilitated everybody's work a bit easier. So the fourth and the final focus area for the federal government that that McKinsey is recommending is is reimagining the facilities and and really rethinking what that needs to look like going forward 
How much of a reduction in real estate cost would you expect to see across the federal government in the coming years? Yeah, that, it's hard to say, right? Uh, you know, it, it requires a lot of execution. I think that uh, more likely what we will see than a, a wholesale reduction in real estate cost in the federal government is a reallocation of real estate resources in a couple of ways. One is a, a lot of federal agencies that have sort of a headquarters and field mentality, um, I think will will end up spending a lot more resources on the field over time and targeting those field investment areas in places that will allow them to do more and different work than they have done in the past, right? So expanding their outposts in uh, in in high tech areas like Silicon Valley or Austin, um, you know, expanding their support areas. Um, to, to places which tend to have um, talented labor that is uh, that, that is lower cost, right? Th those types of things where it's really hard to do that if everybody is required to be, um, you know, sitting in D.C., Virginia, or Maryland. Um, but if you but but if you're to expand to the full of the United States, you have both expanded access to talent um, and uh, and and you know a much more resilience. So I think we'll see a lot of uh, of shift in terms of the investment profile uh, away from sort of the headquarters into the field. Um, you know, th there probably will also be some savings, candidly, or or at least some cost avoidance from you know cancellation of major construction co uh, projects or or avoiding building new buildings that we don't necessarily need. But it requires. I think a lot of the change management to happen on the remote on the remote work front uh, first, and then of course there's the there's the investment in the collaboration spaces um, that we've seen before, and 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 also candidly, you know, some organizations I've heard speaking about reallocating some of their 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 facilities budget into the technology budget to to um, facilitate the investment of in those cloud security tools and the collaboration tools and the in the equipment that's required to work from home. So what are some steps that you're recommending to federal entities in this area, David? Yeah, I think a couple of things. Um, first of all, you know, we talked before about having that sort of, uh, you know, workforce disposition or, or, you know, who gets to work from home or what roles are suited for remote work sort of uh, mm -hmm. conversation. Um, when you do that, using that analysis to inform a plan for the future uh, facility that says, okay, you know, if what my estimate is, is that, you know, 30% of my workforce can work from home perpetually, another 20% can work from home in a hybrid basis, another 20% can work from, you know, any office location, and then 20% must be co-located. Mm -hmm. um, there's a bunch of analytics that you then have to do to say, and what does that imply about where people should be in the future? And which facilities should be larger or smaller, where we can, uh, you know, where we might be able to take some risk, where we might be able to uh, expand into, into field sites. So that's one piece is, is really doing that analysis. Okay. Um, the second is, you know, thinking about better uses of the space, right? The, the sort of hoteling and flexible space. How do you um, create the adaptability to be able to change as, uh, as, as things evolve? Um, and, you know, and to be able to reclaim that space um, as it exists. You know, one of the reasons that we have gigantic federal office buildings and, uh, and, and things that feel both crowded and empty at the same time is because we are, you know, structurally set up to have an individual sitting in a space working. 
um, and to be unable to reclaim that space when that person's not present. In the context of remote work, you know, that doesn't become, you know, because they're gone for meetings for a couple of hours a day, that becomes, you know, because they're gone for days a week. And so really investing in the infrastructure to be able to, to, to uh, and the culture change to be able to say, this isn't my desk necessarily uh, in 100% of cases, but this is a place where uh, the organization can get to work. And then finally, I think, you know, doing the technology infrastructure investment while you're doing the facilities investment. A lot mm -hmm. of our defense clients, you know, have to deal with the idea that, um, you know, th they may have some conversations that are classified and they may have some conversations that are unclassified and where they need to be accessing, uh, you know, conferencing with people remotely and that those may need to happen in the same office space. So, you know, if you're going to do that, how do you invest in the facility now to make sure that that can occur in the future? Makes a lot of sense, David. Thank you for going through those four areas and, and breaking those down in more detail for us. What you've described definitely sounds like the right things for the federal government to focus on. It's also a lot of work, and it will require strong executive leadership to pull it off, no doubt. What are some of the best practices you would recommend to ensure it is done correctly? Uh, yeah, I think it's a few things. Um, one is, you know, setting a really clear and quantified aspiration. So after you've done, uh, you know, the work to say which roles can or can't be remote and how should they be delivered in the future, saying, you know, taking a stand and saying, this is what I aspire to achieve um, quantifiably, and then communicating that aspiration uh, you know, broadly to the workforce to, uh, to make sure that they understand and, and are, and are bought in and, and see you taking action. Uh, that's part one. Part two is, you know, this is a cross-functional initiative inherently, right? It, it, mm -hmm. it touches HR, it touches facilities, it touches technology, it touches security. Um, and then it touches each component of the workforce that, that may be remote. And so, you know, you need some type of central axis that can orchestrate um, you know, that, that coordinated effort across all of those parties. And it probably needs to have, that central access probably needs to have some type of senior sponsor, um, that is able to sort of galvanize the organization around this topic. Um, you know, the next thing is, is really feedback, right? Um, which is, you know, different agencies or departments are going to work differently when it comes to this stuff mm -hmm. and, uh, getting the input of the workforce of managers and, and, uh, of others, you know, in, in a structured fashion that, you know, is accretive to the future posture that you want to take and, and, uh, and not just sort of encouragement for people to complain. Uh, you have to strike the right, strike the right balance there, but getting that input is really critical. Um, and then, you know, you've got to have some set of, uh, what, what you might call, uh, like portfolio and governance around it, which says, you know, I've set aside a set of money to do these activities and I'm going to, I'm going to govern and measure the return on the investments that I'm making. You know, how, how do I ensure that when I've, uh, invested in flexible workspace that that's paying dividends or, that when I'm buying technology for people, they're actually using it. And can I, can I quantify and track the, the return on the investments that I'm making? Uh, and then I think the last thing is really sort of, you know, change management and communications, um, which, uh, is easy to say and hard to do, but, uh, you know, you, you, you have to be able to, um, roll this out in a way that people will believe you. Uh, you have to have the, the right set of, um, uh, you know, we, we always think about change, you know, in, in sort of four areas, right? There's 
that, that you've, that you've made people understand why you're doing something and agree that, you, that it should be done. Right. So articulating the mission case for this, not just, um, not, not just the, you know, the, the fact that people want to be remote, um, right. that you have two, that you have created the right set of, of reinforcement mechanisms and processes to make this way of working, you know, the best, most career creative and easiest way to work. So that might be some of the performance review things that might be, you know, setting up the processes in the way that they just naturally work this way. It might be what metrics you track. Uh, the third is that you've built people's skills and given them the confidence, right? So we talked some about training earlier. And the fourth is role modeling, right? And I think this one is really especially critical in the federal context um, because what often happens is we see, a, you know, people trying to pivot to this remote work um, cycle at the middle and lower levels of the organization. But at the end of the day, you know, the seniors come into the office every day and there ends up being a, a sense of being left out. And, you know, oh, you weren't in the conversation or you weren't in the meeting because everybody else was on site. Uh, and so if you actually want that to change, you know, the senior leaders of the organization, you know, the number one, the number two, the senior executive service positions, uh, you know, those people actually need to be remote, uh, you know, at least part of the time as well, if for nothing else than to role model that that's a successful career path to be to be in the organization and that you can achieve it. Well, great stuff, David. Really um, want to just thank you for your time today. I, I appreciate you sharing your thoughts and insights related to reimagining work in the federal government. Such an important topic. So thanks again. So long for now and be well. Thanks, Brad. Thanks for tuning in to Transform Now. For more insightful discussions on digital transformation and more, check out our podcast channel where you'll find all of our previous episodes. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. And if you like what you heard, please leave us a review. For more information about digital transformation and the future of work, check out blueprism.com to learn how Blueprism's digital workforce is enabling enterprise transformation now. Thank you.